Are you ready for the end of the world? <laughs> the end of what world? <laughs> you are listening to Your Community Spirit on your community radio station. This is Ford Energy Mon. This is Oh, yeah. You're here, too. Um, wake up! And be healthy, and therefore the wealthy, to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to... Did I already say that? Yeah, your community spirit. spirit. Your community radio. I tried to have a lot of spirit this morning. But, um, <laughs> we'll have a spirited discussion. About what? The world. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're both, um, what is it, trying to delay here while we pull up the show <laughs> technological um, devices. Yeah. Well, now you're giving them a peek behind the scenes. <laughs> I've got mine ready now. Winter is moving north. Yes. Those clever people over at Climate Central have done it again. Those are the folks who broke the news that by 2100, Phoenix will be as hot as Kuwait City. They observed astutely that downtown Las Vegas already feels like Kuwait City most days. And now they're back telling us, hey, no need to move to Florida when we retire. By the time many of us northerners are ready to while away our final days chilling with umbrella drinks in the shade of palm trees, Florida will have come to us. <laughs> Here's what they... How's your mic doing? I don't know. low levels on it. Is it collected properly? It's not even on. It fell out of the thing, and I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Do people want to know that um, we will soon be Florida? Yeah, we will soon. Our winters will soon be like Florida winters, won't they? <laughs> yep. All right, yeah. Oh, I don't know. You know, they present, some people are presenting that as a good prospect, but as we go through the story, we'll find out. Suddenly switching to a Florida winter is not, in fact, all that it's cracked up to be. Do we want to crack up anything? <laughs> we want to crack up our listeners with some jokes, maybe. Oh, yeah. We're not funny. No. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about climate, which we tend to do pretty regularly. Yeah. Hey, I did remember to email out our newsletter this morning. I haven't managed to do that the last couple weeks. Oh, okay, yeah. Because I can't. You know, I can't. I actually have to log into a computer to do it because I that ha the computer has my um, mailing list. Oh yeah, your mailing list. So, um, I don't spend time on the computer. All right. What did they find? Boston currently buried by blizzards and getting. <laughs> I don't think that's a real word. Buried. I was trying to like buried her by the winners, like the ones. In um, Georgia today, Minneapolis will feel like Asheville. North Carolina, Portland, and Oregon will uh, score San Luis Obispo secondhand seasons. Now, a lot of people are like, they're liking this. Yeah, some people, but, then when they first hear this, they think, oh, that's cool. I'll have a nicer winter. But, you know, but I mean, that's the thing is, this makes it nicer in the north. But that means everybody from the south will move because <laughs> yeah. they won't be able to live in essentially Kuwait City, I mean. Yeah. So. And there are also some problems you may not think about, like, well, some you might think about, like skiing will go down, ice hockey, outdoor activities like that, but also things like eating fruit, <laughs> having 
messed up winners can mess up your oh, fruit. Yeah, it's like um, and world peace. Like this, it, it, it can create conflicts if you start having disruptive it has, yeah. yeah, I mean, people are moving, um, especially people who uh, lived and were receiving water from the Himalayas. So that area is not no longer receiving water, so they're in like record droughts. Yeah, so. and then you get stuff like out in the northeast where it's a little bit warmer, which sounds good, but then all that humidity comes in, and you get tons and tons of snow. So, chilling effect. You you mentioned eating fruit. Yeah, I like eating. <laughs> eating is good. Fruit is good. Fruit is good for you too. But the chilling effect, how warmer winters could ruin fruit. Think of your favorite fruits, and you might think of the warm climates they tend to thrive in. Florida oranges, Texas grapefruit, California strawberries, and, you know, other ones like grapes, figs, pears, and apricots. But here's the funny thing. Most fruit trees have to chill. Literally. They've got to chill out. Unless they're tropical, trees have what are called chilling requirements. Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. We all need to chill every now and then. <laughs> Just like... So these trees need winter temperatures to drop within a certain range, usually just above freezing, and remain there for a set period of time. This allows the buds to go into dormancy and tolerate harsh winter weather, and to rest, reset themselves for the fruit production cycle to start again when the spring comes around. You know, so that way you don't have the buds forming in like, I don't know, like February, and they, they bud and then they get frozen, which yeah, has actually, happened down here sometimes. Yeah, we had that for all the peaches here. I, I, maybe five years ago, I remember that happening, that, that we had unusually warm, you know, spring, and then we had a frost afterwards, and so basically there was no peach. Yeah. Well, there was peaches because they, they have a late summer variety, but the normal peach, early spring variety, yeah. they all bought it. It was beautiful, <laughs> but then it froze, and all the, the, the flowers... And the buds fell off. Yeah, beautiful but tragic. <laughs> so, I... so, yeah, insufficient cold makes for confused trees, says Ike Ludling, a climate change scientist who has published studies on chilling requirements and fruit trees. Quote, you have the buds breaking irregularly and over a long time, so it's kind of staggered, much longer than it should be, and ultimately it results in having a bad fruit set, he says. But which crops will be affected as weather patterns continue to change? For starters, he listed apples, pears, cherries, walnuts. We could throw in peaches in there like we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, other tree nuts like pomegranates, olives. Um, it's hard to predict exactly, though, where exactly the list ends. It's also hard to say precisely how regular winters disrupt a tree's blooming cycle, explains Greg Lang, horticulture professor at Michigan State University. Quote, there are various stages. The flowers cannot open, or the flowers can open, but the pollen doesn't germinate, or the pollen germinates, but the ovules don't get fertilized strongly enough. It's basically, we don't think about it, but it's a complex process, having these fruit-bearing trees form a bud, form a flower, get the pollen in there, you know. And any sort of chaos with the climate can disrupt that. Now, I do know locally we had, we had a really horrible pecan crop last summer. I mean, pecans around here are about 25% more than they were last year just because there was a shortage. Yeah. So local pecans. So That's too bad. I like pecans. Yeah. So, I mean, I usually buy at the beginning of winter and stock up for, on, stock up on nuts for the winter. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I don't know, 
I read somewhere that it helps with uh, seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. If you just, you know, eat, a, 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 you know, a couple nuts a day, keep, you know, stay nutty. And um, so I've always done that at the beginning of winter, you know. I mean, I, I guess it was comes back from when I grew up. My, my dad worked a lot of, you know, s- well-paid summer jobs. Yeah. And then, you know, construction, landscaping, a lot of that stuff. And so we didn't have much winter jobs, so we'd stock up. And you get a five-gallon bucket of nut butter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Beginning of winter, and a five-gallon bucket of honey. It was always honey, and then some kind of nut butter. Yeah. And usually it was peanut butter, but I remember two distinct winters that we had other nut butters. <laughs> one was cashew, and the other one was almond butter. Yeah. Wow. Those, those must like, have been special winners. <laughs> those were special winners. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like all the bread, basically all the bread. Um, you know, honey and nut butter you want to eat all winter. So yeah, it was just like it's a good way to go. So I'm repeating that now with just the nuts. Yeah. Um, does this affect other types of corn and wheat are very well researched, but trees they're barely able to understand how they work, and they're much more complicated organisms. So they know that it's going to affect them. Specifically, they don't know how. Yes. So they're researching the details, and like you said, they're looking into varieties, different varieties they can plant that might be more conducive to, you know, a late frost or that sort of thing. Right. But it takes time, you know, with corn, you can decide next year, be like, oh, this year I'm going to do a different variety of corn. But if you're talking peaches, it takes years for those trees to grow. So So people have to decide now of what the climate's going to be like in 20 years. So that's why they're doing all this research to figure that out. Yeah, we can't know. I mean, <laughs> That's you, all I know. I mean, well, the thing is, is they do climate models. Yeah. And, I mean, the thing is, is a lot of people are doing climate models not only to see what the climate will do for nature, but they're doing it to try to figure out ways to make money. Yeah. <laughs> because they want to know if, you know, this thing will no longer be available. I need to – I mean, I remember a story at least a couple of years ago of a guy who bo- – planted a bunch of olive trees in an area that they don't normally grow. You know, the trees might grow, but they don't fruit because it's not in olive. Yeah, but it's got this expectation that, you know, 10 years from now, the climate will be a little warmer. Correct. Yeah, Yeah, that's basically he's planning. Yeah. Well, I know one of the greatest challenges for climate modeling is modeling what the humans are going to (laughs) do. Oh, come on. We don't know what... I don't know what I'm going to do in five minutes. Well, hopefully yeah. I'll still be on the show. But. Yeah, because they've done enough research now they can kind of predict, you know, like if there's this much carbon in the air, this is probably what's going to happen. But then if you don't know if the humans are going to put in, you know, 400 parts per million or 500 parts per million, right? that's a big difference. Right. So, I mean, all I know is like every average climate model, we've exceeded that. Yeah. You we know. keep revising them to be worse predictions. Yeah, so. <laughs> so probably, I mean, probably the best bet is variety. Let's stop. We need to start talk about something good. Yeah. Is there anything no. awesome going on these days? Um, <laughs> well, I was able to wake up this morning. That was kind of good. Yeah, that's a good you start. Know? And the sun is out. If you're, if you think it's cold, just don't stand in the sun. <laughs> then it's really cold. <laughs> it's just like yeah. You can look but, at the sun from inside. Awesome news about U.S. clean energy. 
When we read headlines about how Congress is rift with climate change deniers and willing to vote in favor of a massive oil pipeline that would increase greenhouse gas emissions, it's easy to get discouraged about the direction the U.S. is headed on global warming. But when you look at some of the hard numbers about how Americans, that's us, are getting our energy, yeah. there's actually a lot to be excited about. Earlier this week, Bloomberg New Energy Finance released a fat report. That's right, a fat report mm. on the state of U.S. energy, and it's chock full of facts and figures that reveal real, tangible progress on reversing the habits that cause climate change. Here are a few of the most salient bits. The U.S. is getting more efficient. It used to be that electricity demand rose and fell roughly in line with economic productivity. It's no longer the case. Thanks in massive gains in energy efficiency, energy demand is now less tied to economic growth than ever. In fact, since 2007, electricity demand hasn't grown at all. Hmm. Zero. Yeah. Another way of saying that the U.S. is becoming more energy productive that the U.S. is using fewer units of energy for every unit of GDP. Hmm. Energy productivity has increased 54% since 1990. Yeah. There's this great graph that the Energy Information Agency, the EIA, mm -hmm. puts out that shows how inefficient our electrical system is. <laughs> yeah. It's showing, you know, here's coal, here's nuclear, basically, here's solar, here's wind, the inputs... And then it's showing over here, you know, the outputs. And we lose almost, well, the last time I read it was 54% of the energy that's produced to where it's used. Yeah. But part of that is just literally the loss in power lines because the average user lives 150 miles from where the electricity is produced. Yeah. So just the loss in power lines. And that's why actual renewables are so good, is they're located right where their the energy is used. Yeah. Generally. So, so you don't lose it along the power line. Right. So you, it's like every bit of it is pretty much utilized right there. Yeah. So. What um, other good news? <laughs> yeah. Well, another good news: coal is getting the boot. What a boot! <laughs> what a boot! Coal. Coal is getting the boot. Now, coal used to provide half or more of the country's electric. I mean, really, in a lot of places, it was like 90%, you know. Mm -hmm. It was huge. What's the name of our town again? Yeah, Carbondale. It's, <laughs> it's off of coal, yeah. Is it really? Well, that's what I've heard. I've never, I guess I've never seen documentation yeah, of Yeah, I just realized that right now. A lot of people say it's based. But, I mean, was coal an industry before, I mean, the town was founded. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, we'll have to investigate the history of that. But we kind of assume it's named Carbondale after coal. But we can change that to being, you know, the carbon-based life forms. <laughs> but still, coal is getting the boots. Uh, it's now that number is down from about, oh, you know, half or more. It's down to 39%. Now, unfortunately, some of that is because of the fracking boom. Like, people are using natural gas more. But um, some of it is also from renewables, too. Renewables are skyrocketing. No, we're still keeping them here on Earth. <laughs> but solar and wind production has more than tripled since 2008. The share of all renewable energy sources combined 
This includes large hydro dams. We consider that renewable here. In the U.S., energy mix has nearly doubled since 2008 from 8% to 13%. So that's how you mess statistics up, saying nearly doubled. Yeah. In my mind, that's not nearly doubled, but, you know, it sounds better that way, right? Yeah. But still, we... I remember how big of a deal it was when we broke 10%. And now we're at 13%. Yeah. But, like, put a little pinprick in it. Germany's at 24%. Yeah, Germany's still ahead of us. And they have no sun. Yeah. And that's predominantly their energy source. They don't have all the other, you know, renewable energy resources that we do. Yeah, that's funny, you know, because, like, Vermont also just... Uh, push towards 100% uh, clean, you know, clean. Well, there's energy. at least one city in there there's one that's city 100% there. renewable. Yeah, there's one that's 100%, and statewide it's very high there. And Vermont is also, you know, it's further north than us. It, it has less sunlight per day, so. Well, technically we could say anybody in the city of Carbondale mm. who are, is part of the bulk energy buy, yeah. isn't that like 100% renewables? I'll have to relook at it. Yeah, I mean, kind of. It's this all, It gets weird with grids because you're shuffling around. We might technically be consuming uh, some fossil fuel energy, but we're paying for the clean energy. Yeah, so, I mean, the bulk energy, I, I think some people opted out of it. But on the whole, the majority of people in, you know, Carbondale's region are buying the energy together from one company. Yeah. And we, um, you know, asked them to do a higher percentage of renewable energy. I don't remember if it ended up being 100%. I'll have to look it up. I don't remember either. I think it was 100%, but I'm not sure. But that being said, where does that 100% come from? Yeah. It could be anywhere in the world. I mean, but it's our money is going towards making some renewables happen. Yeah. So. Which is a good step. The primary reason why we're at 13% is the trend, the ongoing freefall in the cost of solar panels. Um, now, the majority of that, in my mind, is because it's tied to the cost of oil. And if we've had this freefall in the cost of oil, which makes no sense to me at all why they're tied together. One is solely for transportation and one is solely for electricity. Yeah. So eventually they'll decouple and the price of solar will be tied to the price of electrical energy sources like nuclear and coal yeah you know or maybe they'll just stand on its own but yeah maybe the other prices will be tied to solar <laughs> it's just like so the more solar that gets installed the cheaper each unit of it is yeah because there's economies of scale and there's also new research that goes on like to create more efficient solar panels so it keeps i mean i like that argument about clean energy is like you know, solar in particular keeps getting more efficient, and whereas fossil fuels, you keep running out of them. <laughs> like, which is a better long-term plan, to start using something that keeps getting more efficient or something that's going to run out? Um, that makes logical sense, but <laughs> you're talking about an industry. Wait, an industry, I guess, that's been around for 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're, I mean, they control the world. Yeah. They do. Even though they've only been around 100 years. Yeah, and they don't want to give that up. No. So, that one's just awesome. Yeah, the ones in Norway kind of want to give it up. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. They did. Um, you want to skip the cars? or? Yeah. Yeah, basically it's cars are cleaner and we're using less of them. Yeah. So, we'll skip that. <laughs> skip skip the, the car. <laughs> yeah. So, Norway divests from coal and promises to cut carbon. What? 
Yes, Norway's joined in the divestment movement. The country's sovereign wealth fund is the richest in the world, which makes the move to take its money out of dozens of climate-crippling companies a big deal. I'm glad I didn't try to say that. <laughs> yeah, climate-crippling companies. You know. <laughs> Alliteration. I mean, the thing is, is climate-crippling companies mm. are making money hand over fist. Yeah. So for someone to divest from that is not a good logical move from a money point of view. Yeah, from a money point of view, they could stick with it and for at least a few more quarters make a lot of money. You know. But they're thinking long term, like climate consequences and eventually, you know, economic consequences. Well, I mean, that's not the only good news from Norway. On Wednesday, the government officials announced that the country will commit to reducing emissions 40% below 1990 levels. Yeah. That's pretty intense. You know, by 2013. No, by 2030. 2013 is... Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's going to be part of the deal adopted in December at the UN uh, summit in Paris. So on Thursday, the Nordic nation dropped its responsible investing report in Norwegian. Oh, that's cool. We, like, know about it, and they haven't even released the English yeah, report. We're on top of it. Yeah, where we speak Norwegian that well. <laughs> just like, I mean, they just let people know about this on Wednesday yeah. in Norwegian. And now we know today in Southern Illinois. It's like... We're on the ball. Just like... So, yeah, part of what it takes into account is the risk that the world might actually get its act together and leave behind those damn fossil fuels in the ground. Because it is a big economic risk. You know, right now, like this quarter... They might make a lot of money if they stay in fossil fuels, but if those assets are trapped there, then that's ultimately a losing deal investing in these companies. So they're getting out now while the getting's good. So yeah, study. There was a study released recently showing that if we want a 50/50 chance of limiting global warming to two degrees Celsius, which is actually a lot, but that's the limit people are going for. And we need to lock up 82% of the world's coal reserves and stop mining Alberta's tar sands by 2020. That's a pretty steep goal. So uh, uh, Norway d does things to mitigate its climate guilt from getting filthy rich on petroleum and spending it on high-carbon lifestyles. So yeah. the country carbon taxes its own wealth generator, the, the North Sea oil industry and spends billions it collects to help less loaded nations reduce emissions and deal with climate consequences. Yeah. I mean, that's probably part of why they take this seriously is they know they, I mean, they're not a huge country, but a lot of their wealth was built on oil. <laughs> so they want to do something about what they've done. One of the solar modules I have bought and installed is REC and they're from Norway, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. Um, one of the one of the very world's largest renewable energy manufacturers of solar modules mm -hmm. is from Norway, and they can't install any of it in their own country because it's too cloudy. <laughs> yeah, but they you make know? it anyway. Yeah, I mean, and they do everything. It's like all in-house. They make everything. It's not like they – a lot of companies, they buy parts, and then they just assemble. But yeah. this company is like – does it all. And they do a lot of renewable energy and clean energy. But most of it is not in their own country because yeah. um, if I remember reading, they get almost all of their energy from, um, what is it, heat from the earth. Oh, yeah, geothermal. They're big on geothermal. Yeah, so it's like basically that's how they produce all their electricity. Yeah. You know, so. 
people. Well, and it's almost as if they have a sense of personal responsibility, like they built this wealth on oil and now they're spending it on renewables. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what would happen if other countries did that. Well, I mean... <laughs> like the U.S. I actually tents. did have um, a business partner investor in my company that he made all his money on coal. Yeah. And then when he retired, you know, he basically felt guilty. Hmm. And he started a company that continued to make money on um, coal plant scrubbers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was getting into renewable energy. Yeah. But, so. Well, we're running out of time, and we got some happenings to get to. <laughs> what, what is lame duck day? What know. is a lame duck? I don't know if that's like lame duck, uh, you know, politicians. <laughs> Saturday is eat ice cream for breakfast day. Oh, my. And wave your fingers at your neighbor day while eating ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got ice cream on your fingers. So Sunday is Boy Scout Day and Kite Flying Day. I don't know about flying a kite in February, but maybe it's Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> Monday is Clean Out Your Computer Day and Toothache Day. Yeah, uh, nobody needs a toothache on Toothache Day. It's from the ice cream, maybe. <laughs> Tuesday is Umbrella Day and Don't Cry Over Spill Milk Day. Wednesday is Make a Friend Day. So, um, I, I just was recently reading the the hundred um, things of rejection, and this guy decided he was going to do hundred things that he would get rejected at. Uh -huh. And the first one is um, borrow a hundred dollars from a stranger. <laughs> yeah. And I've I just started, and they're all videos. Like so, he videoed each one of them. The, the one that surprised me was giving $5 to a stranger. Mm -hmm. More people said no than yeah. said yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. And he had no stipulation. He was just yeah. like, I want to give you $5. And they're like, ah, no. They're like, ah, no. They're like, probably suspicious or yeah, too proud like, or something. So. But yeah, and Darwin's birthday is coming up on Thursday. Got some local happenings for that. So, all right. February is American Heart Month, <coughs> Black History Month. And canned food month, which I think is a very important one. People tended to give a lot of stuff during the holidays. Yeah. And now they're running out. So, Speaking of helping, tonight is the Chocolate Festival. Oh, man, this should be every day. <laughs> yeah, so, every day. So benefit for the Women's Center. Yep. Yeah. So um, that's tonight, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Carbondale Civic Center. This is their big annual fundraiser enjoy chocolate and support a good cause at the same time yeah i always love when you know you want to give money to organizations to help them right yeah but you also like the party yeah and in this case you get the party with chocolate <laughs> yeah you get the party you get to eat chocolate and you get to help the women's center it's man like a, it's a trifecta <laughs> can i think of anything bad about that um so, a buffet of sweet and savory chocolate delights at the Carbondale Civic Center today. The bad thing is, is if you eat a lot of chocolate, chocolate can be very fattening. Mm. But this year they're doing another event. Yeah. It's called Walk Off the Chocolate. Now, in your case, you didn't want to walk off the chocolate. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll keep the chocolate. Like but if you want to walk off the chocolate on Saturday morning, they're having an uh, indoor family walkathon at the Garden Grove Event Center. Uh, there will also be free blood pressure checks, stress screenings, chair massages, and all that good stuff. Over yeah, I mean, if you got stress from all the chocolate the day before, might as well, you know, go get a massage. 
and then there'll be a bounce house for the kids. Yeah. Never for the adults, but for the kids. Someday for the adults. <laughs> um, that, again, tonight, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Carbondale Civic Center. Yes. Also coming up this weekend, the Carbondale Community Farmers Market. They're still going on in the middle of winter here, but they've taken it indoors in the Carbondale Community High School. It's Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon. Also on Saturday, Common Green's annual membership meeting. That's 11 to 12 at the Irma Hay Center. Common Green is a really cool non-profit corporation currently developing basically community gardens. Yeah. We actually have one of the gardens. It's like a block from here, right? Yeah, it's like about a block or two from here. And one of the people from the garden was just in here before the show started. So you're invited to the free public event so you can learn about all the stuff. They actually just bought a couple of new plots, and they're looking for, of course, people to help them garden. So yeah. if you need a garden and you want to garden, and so they provide access to local healthy foods, donating foods to neighbors. Soup banks or soup kitchen is the cornerstone of their charitable giving charter. Yeah, and so the free public event is coming up on Saturday, 11 a.m. to noon, to learn more about them and get involved. Saturday at noon, the Town Square Pavilion, <clears throat> Standing on the Side of Love Vigil. A Standing on the Side of Love Vigil will take place Saturday, that's tomorrow, from noon until 1 at the Carbondale Town Square Pavilion, right downtown. The theme of this month, Standing on the Side of Love, relates to the anticipated Supreme Court of the United States' decision in June on marriage equality. There's a whole list of co-sponsors for this. There will be signs already made in accord with love, nonviolent, and peace values. So the public is invited to bring your own signs Saturday, noon till 1 o'clock. Yes, standing on the side of love. Now, next week is the International Festival. I will actually be cooking if you, if you like food. I figured this year to do Native American food because most people don't think of international. Oh, yeah. So, and um, the food fair is Wednesday from 11 till 2 at the whole student center ballrooms. Yeah. So, if you like food and if you like people, this is basically the place to be. Yeah. And then next Wednesday is the culture fair. So, put those on your calendar. Yeah. So, coming up this week, it's also Darwin Week over at SIU. Uh, next week on the SIU campus, they've got several events going on. You can get the full schedule at darwinweek.siu.edu. Woodland Restoration for Landowners, Thursday at 7 p.m. at 216 East Monroe Street. Learn about the natural history of woodlands, methods to restore open woodland communities, and the benefit of woodland management to wildlife. Again, that's next Thursday at 7 p.m. That's the township hall, but you come in in the back door. Yeah. And so I think the rest of this we can mention next week. Yes. We have like four or five more happenings that are going to happen. So tune in next week. And if you would like to receive our newsletter, info at yourcommunityspirit.org, and I will try to remember to send it to you. <laughs> yeah. Just like, so thank you again. Have a sunny weekend. Yes, enjoy it, and we'll see you here next week on the radio.